Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee Greenest state in the land of the free Raised in the woods so he knew every tree Killed him a bar when he was only three Davy, Davy Crockett Welcome, everyone, to episode 100 of the Be Kind Rewind. This is your Disney Plus movie podcast. I, of course, am Dan Teets. We are joined by one of the two co-hosts. Kyra Hawkins. And we have the pleasure of speaking with, I'm going to call her movie royalty. (laughs) We have... The star of Mano's Hands of Fate and numerous sequels, we have Jackie Naaman Jones. I was trying to figure out how what the best way to say it because you're a Jackie Naaman in the first movie, mm-hmm. and then I think Jackie Jones in the in the sequels. Is that correct? Um, I think we still have it, Jackie Naaman Jones. Okay. And. Well, we are going to go ahead and jump right on in. You you told Liam that your favorite movie of the early Disney period was the 1960s Swiss Family Robbins. Yeah, uh-huh. So why does that one hold such a dear place in your heart? Well, because that's the kind of kid I was, you know. I would have loved nothing more than to live in a treehouse on some... <laughs> Deserted island and uh, had a baby, baby elephant and things like that, you know. And um, you know, we were very. My dad was an artist and very creative, and mm-hmm. you know, he made. We always we take these desert scavenging trips, you know, or he'd take me along and find old abandoned silver mines and. Mm and climb in there and dig out turquoise and then he'd make jewelry out of it or we'd find old abandoned shacks and he'd collect all the wood and panel the living room with it or make furniture or, you know, frames for his artwork. So, you know, it's just a, kind of a kid. And even today, my art is all... Uh, from reclaimed items, you know, I like to find new uses for things, and uh, so my art is mostly with, uh, I find old doors and window frames, things that have been abandoned or they're sitting on a burn pile, and so I'll, I'll uh, take them, and, and because I didn't want to be a hoarder, I had to turn them into something <laughs> useful. Uh, <laughs> So that's why I think that was my favorite movie. But yeah, I watched it again the other night, and it's very interesting how, you know, almost 50 years later, things have changed so much, you know, in our culture and and everything that it was a little hard to watch for certain, you know, some reason, um, you know, that the the girl was a girl, you know, and then she 
couldn't do a lot of things that the boys did and and I and as a kid I was offended by that even because my mother was definitely um, a liberal woman you know she's she's a teacher and and uh, she stood up for minorities and and uh, you know she's just a real, very strong woman so so I guess I would have uh, found some offense in some of it back then but but more today it was just really interesting to see the movie from this you know in those days from that wholesome standpoint but today so many things are kind of culturally offensive yeah it was when we actually when we discussed this movie i'd say probably a year ago on the show and the cultural insensitivities especially dealing with the i don't even know what the proper term is for the asian the pirates yeah right yeah, yeah. i found that that bothered me they, you know they were just so grouped together and one like just one entity you know that they're you know one pirate is any pirate <laughs> but yeah. i've been to Land, and I love that ride and everything, you the, know? The Pirates of the Caribbean or the... Well, the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Okay, I was about to say I didn't know there was a Swiss Family yeah. Robinson ride, but... I think Swiss Family Robinson, you know, all of those, a lot of those elements uh, were in there. The whole lot of the elements that I was recognizing. So, yeah, it wasn't the Swiss Family Robinson, but a lot of similarities. So... You grew up as a child of film, and your dad was a repurposer. Would that be the right techno the right term for him? Well, he worked in just so many mediums. Anything he found interesting, he had. We lived in a hundred-year-old uh, adobe house, just three miles to the Mexican border mm. in El Paso, Texas, and it had a little rock house in the backyard that was his studio so he had his welding equipment he worked in um in clay sculpture metal wood paints you know if he thought of it he would create it and my mother was very similar she was a teacher but but she sewed she made all our clothing she made all the cushions for the couches you know my dad would build the frame and then she so it was like everything in our house was pretty much created from their imagination mm. yes. and I grew up that way my dad professionally was um, he was director of the South El Paso Boys Club for many years but he was always heavily involved in the local community theater and El Paso has a very strong um creative uh, community they always have and and uh, and they still do so it's a it was a strong theater and um, so I grew up in the theater and he was always playing the lead role <laughs> in the play so he was King Arthur and Man of La Mancha and he's uh, Don Quixote and I mean Don Quixote and Man of La Mancha <laughs> Um, King Arthur and in Camelot and uh, 
Henry the Fourth, and uh, yeah, he played the lead role in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. I mean, just so many, so many plays. And as a kid, I loved nothing more than to hang out in the theater. And uh, I learned how to be quiet. I was a very quiet, observant child. So uh, I'd stay quiet so that I could stick around and nobody would notice me, you know. So I picked up a whole lot. Yeah, and in the actual Manos, you were speaking as someone who had no idea about this movie until Liam reached out to me and expressed your interest in wanting to discuss Disney movies. When I first saw it, I thought that you were the mom. I I, I didn't do any research, didn't look into how old you were, and then when I when I started actually looking at the IMDb page, that's when I realized, no, this is actually the little girl that has maybe four or five lines in the movie. And obviously she became a very pivotal part because she was in the sequels, which we'll get into those a little bit later on. But um, what exactly did your dad tell you about Manos? What did, how did he pitch the concept to you I guess is the question well that was when he was in the play Henry the Fourth, and he was playing King Henry and uh, Hal Warren who had written the script and was creating the film Monos the Hands of Fate looked around he was in the play as well as were all the male actors in Monos were part of that play so hmm. Hal pitched it to them and he knew that my dad was an artist as well as an actor. And um, Hal knew how to get, he knew how to find the things that he needed. And so my dad did all the sets and the props were his, the painting of the master and dog was his, all the sculptures hand uh, on the mantle, the Torgo staff. I mean, even Torgo's uh, whole costume was my dad's. That was his welding coveralls hmm. and his desert scavenging hat. Uh, the Doberman was our family pet. My mother made the master's robes, the robe, and all the wives' dresses, and she made my dress, which actually I was disappointed came out of my closet. She made all my clothes, and it was nothing special. So at the end, when I got to be a mini wife and I got to wear a dress like the, the pretty ladies, <laughs> I, that was pretty great for me. I thought that was awesome, but it offended a lot of people. Allegedly, a woman slapped Hal at the premiere for portraying a six-year-old child as the future wife of the master, you know. But to me, it was more like a family movie. I mean, our... Some of our furniture was in it. My great-grandma's bedspread was on the bed. <laughs> so my dad came to me and he said, um, Honey, we're, I'm going to be making this movie and they need a little girl. Would you like to be that little girl? And I was pretty shy. I was just six years old at the time in first grade. And I said, I don't know. And... and uh, he just said, well, that's okay, honey. You don't have to. We can find another little girl. <laughs> like, no. Uh-uh. 
No other little girls hanging out with my dad. That's how it happened. Okay. So, now, you mentioned the Doberman was your dog. Yes. What? Where did Fifi come from? Where did, oh, oh, Peppy? Uh, yeah, he was Hal Warren's dog. Okay. Peppy. Mm-hmm. Wiggly little poodle. Yeah, that was actually a... He, he was kind of unruly anyway. So y'all were y'all were ready to get rid of him and trade him in for the Doberman, so to speak. Well, I, I do remember both Hal and my dad coming to me the night, the scene, before the scene where they killed Peppy the Poodle, and they showed me the stuffed toy Poodle, and, um, you know, they showed me how they tore it open, they put stage blood on the stuffing and I, I remember even as six-year-old they're going we just want to let you know we're not really killing Peppy and, and I remember kind of maybe not outwardly but inwardly I wrote rolling my eyes going yeah right like I think that was real you know it's pretty obviously a fake dog well this was, this was also in the 1960s where you could pass off things like that a little bit more than if that movie itself were to be remade in 2022, of course, you'd have the dog be CGI'd. And... Yeah, and you'd have more lighting than headlights and flash and uh, mm-hmm. flashlights, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, Manos has been taught in film schools as everything not to do in filmmaking. That was... That actually leads into another question. What do you personally think about Manos after all these, after the 50 years that it's been? Well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, when it was made and the premiere was a really big deal, Hal Warren was a real salesman, (laughs) and he borrowed the headlights from the local car dealer, he found a red carpet somewhere, Uh, we all dressed up, my mom and I felt like we spent the whole day in the beauty parlor getting our hair done, she made me this beautiful dress. All the women were wearing opera gloves. The men had tuxedos. It was like wow. a big deal. How made sure all the tech, the El Paso luminarias were there. You know, the mayor and city council, just everybody was there. And um, and then the lights went down and it started and <laughs> it was clear to everyone that it was really bad. And the cast or crew, nobody would really seen it before. It happened so fast. I mean, Hal got it shot, and he got it edited, and, you know, it just happened so quick, and nobody had any experience in filmmaking back there in 1966. Plus, it was shot silent. It was shot on a Filmo 70 camera that was used in uh, Vietnam for war footage. Wow. Yeah. So um, so it was all dubbed. So the synchronicity, everything, it was just awful. And I remember sitting there really excited to see myself. And then I see myself and my mouth opens up and this strange voice comes out of my mouth. (laughs) And I just cried through the whole thing. I I was humiliated. Um, my dad made sure we sat where I could see, so we were like fifth row center and really essentially trapped. 
Um, after the film was over, the cast and crew just got the hell out of there as quick as possible. <laughs> I don't think anybody went to a cast party. And then the theater canceled the rest of the run. Oh, my gosh. It was so bad. So, and then the local entertainment writers, uh, Joan Corum especially, she was a big fan of my dad. And coincidentally, he won Best Actor of the Year award hmm. for his role in Henry's, Henry's, uh, Henry the Fourth that he did that year in 1966. Same year Manos was made. So we all knew it was bad, but to me it was, it was the best summer of my life, just hanging out with my dad, and and life went on to some dark times. My parents divorced. My dad was suicidal and had a lot of problems, and um, so I grew up looking for this film, and this is all pre-internet, you know, and uh, so 27 years go by, and then my dad calls me one day, and he says in 1993, he goes, you'll never believe what I just saw. He was watching Mystery Science Theater, and there it was. So I got a hold of a copy. I called. I called the 800 number. It was on Comedy Central. <laughs> and I got a hold of a guy in Manhattan, who uh, I told him who I was, and that you know, is there any way I could get a copy? And and he knew the film. He's like, Oh my God, are you Debbie? <laughs> my character's name. <laughs> what? I, this is literally in 27 years the first hint I got that anybody cared about it. So I latched onto that, and um, and uh, you know I've always said <clears throat> if you can't be the best, make the most of being part of the worst. You know, and I've had a really fun time with this, and I haven't really understood it except. I think the big thing about Manos is people can see that there's some talent in it. It's just, you know, put together really horribly. And I think there's something about it. People see the this camaraderie that comes about in that. Of, you know, anybody who's done theater acting knows that, um, you know, it's a tight knit group of people and nobody wants to be the one to sh basically shout fire in the theater you know everybody's just gonna get through it and they did they got it got through it and I I think that's one of the things that people really identify with is that no matter how bad it is they did it I mean they finished it they got it in a theater and by some a lot of really strange miracles it became famous in the long run but uh, yeah people have a real love of this movie I, I've i talked to so many people who have seen it many more times than I have you know I mean I don't sit down and just watch it <laughs> it's <laughs> not it's not your normal Friday night sit down and bag of popcorn no. <laughs> <laughs> well now I actually I watched it twice for the for the preparation for this, I watched the uncut version, and then I watched the mystery t mystery science theater version, and I think Kyra watched the Elvira version. Is that right? Yeah, I've only had time to watch it the one time, so I'm glad that my internet held up long enough for me to stream the whole thing. But 
the Mystery Science Theater is, I mean, the movie is an hour and six minutes long. So you're not, it's not like they're going to cut, there's not anything that was actually cut out of the movie that I, that I could tell. It's a no. shot for a shot. Yeah, in fact, when, um, the, you know there's a restoration, right? I mean, uh, um, a young filmmaker found the original work print that went through the camera in 1966. Hmm. He was into restoring old films, and by chance he came across it. He was actually looking at another film that was in this box, the films that he bought on, on eBay. And he happened to recognize what he was holding in his hand. It had a different title on it. It was the work print. It was called Fingers of Fate, original. <laughs> and, uh, well, originally it was called Lodge of Sin. So it changed names three times. Oh, my goodness. of Fate. But he um, did a Kickstarter, and he raised, like, $48,000 to restore it. Hmm. And he restored it frame by frame, the way you would take an old Hollywood film and bring it back to life. And uh, it was pretty remarkable because it had it had the uh, unedited version. You know, it had the things that were cut, and there was very little cut because film was expensive. Mm-hmm. They were renting the camera, they were buying this film, and uh, how basically kept everything in the movie. There were only a couple of scenes uh, that were not in the final cut. And that's one of the things with the, what is it, six-minute driving scene that it begins with. Hal didn't cut any of that out because he needed everything to make a feature-length film. And from what I understand, the credits were supposed to go in the beginning, but that got messed up. Yeah, and the and the version that I actually watched was the restored version because that's actually what's on that's what's on Tubi right now. So it was I think it was like an hour and fourteen minutes with like six minutes of commercials, just interspersed for them to be able to pay the bills or whatever. But I actually I liked the movie. It may be something that I suggest at our we have a. a local pub like two miles down the road that shows movies on Thursday night mm-hmm. and I may actually suggest this for the October horror mm-hmm. month even huh? though it's not I don't I don't think it's a horror movie what ver, what is the genre for the film they call it a horror film okay. yeah but you know yeah the restored version the thing with the original is that by the time it got to Mystery Science Theater, it was like a copy of a copy of a copy. So, so it's like watching this thing through a dirty screen door. Mm-hmm. And then when the restored version came along, it was it's beautiful. You know, I mean, it's but you can see the mistakes so much more clearly. You know, it makes it a lot more interesting. You get to see where, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff where... Um, there's a beer bottle behind the master when he's holding his arms up <laughs> in the house, and there's the beer bottle because by then the crew, the two crew members, were really frustrated with Hal walking around like um, some imperious <laughs> dictator. And um, so 
So they planted the beer bottle to test his powers of observation, and it stayed in the film. Or like when my dad, the master, lights Torgo's hand on fire, and Torgo goes running off into the desert, you can see the can of lighter fluid <laughs> right there, you know, that he caught his hand on fire with. Okay. Uh, so that... It's just so much more interesting, I think. That actually explains something, because when Torgo got his hand lit on fire, I thought that your dad had killed him, and that was all that was actually left was the hand. But then in the cut, Torgo runs off screen, and I didn't know if that was a bad edit or something like that. Because it's... Yeah, that's why, you know, we when we did Monos Returns, we created a Torgo character without a hand, and my character is Debbie, now the master. Uh, I, oh, here it is. <laughs> Told you I'm an artist <clears throat> like my dad. So I created my version of Tur Torgo's burned hand. Wow. And uh, this is what I had on uh, my costume hanging from my belt. <laughs> so the hand returned, and Torgo returned without the hand. Right. Okay. And in Mono's Returns, I wear his hand, and it's one of the ways that I control him. Um, you said at the very beginning of the interview that you felt that Swiss Family Robinson was kind of like your, that was your escape. You, you related to that movie so much. Were there any other Disney films that were on, well, it wouldn't quite be rotation, but there would be movies that if you found out they were running on like the wonderful world of color or whatever the disney feature is at the time that you would say dad can we sit down and watch this um probably mary poppins i loved mary poppins the magic of it and dick van dyke i just yeah i, I was a huge fan of his you know on after that probably because of that so mm -hmm. So it, it was Mary Poppins or Swiss Family Robinson or whatever would be running that Sunday night. It, it, it... Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get too much into the princess type films. I was never that kind of girl. I was a real tomboy. Well, yeah, and having spoke to you for 20 minutes, I can kind of tell that the princess doesn't quite fit your aura, I guess would be the way to say it. Yeah. Okay, um, let me see. Kyra, do you have any questions? Because I feel like I'm occupying the the interview. <laughs> uh, no, you're fine. I'm enjoying listening because um, I didn't, like, really know what kind of questions to ask. But um, I, like, you said that you, um, like, later found out how famous the movie really was and how many people really loved it. And um, I hadn't heard of it. Um, before Dan mentioned that we were going to do this um, and then just talking to a few people like three or four people that I have known for many years were like oh yeah I've actually seen that <laughs> like how have I not seen it you know I was like I think I was 10 or 11 years old um, in 1993 so when it would have been on Mystery Science Theater 3000 I wasn't quite where I was watching that yet. It was a few years later that I found it. So um, I hadn't seen it before just a few days ago. And um, I really 
like enjoyed it for what it was. Um, I, I I did watch the Elvira version, and so it was it was kind of a fun watch. I I wasn't sure what to expect, and it was entertaining enough. And um, I'm excited to be talking to you now. Yeah, I, I got to meet her. I got to meet Cassandra Peterson um, like three years ago. We were both guests at Crypticon Seattle Horror Convention, and uh, she was across the room, and. Uh, I was conspiring. I was trying to figure out how to meet her because she had <laughs> protection. She had handlers, and she had a long line of people that I wasn't willing to stand in line for uh, on my break. And so I snuck around the end of the table. She was standing at the end, and all the people were lined up. And I dived in real quick when her bodyguard was looking the other way for a moment. And I, <laughs> I tapped her. I go. Cassandra, and I just talked really fast. I'm Debbie. I'm the little girl in Monos Hands of Fate. My dad was the master, you know. I just said it real quick, and she looked at me, and all of a sudden she, her eyes got big, and she goes, and she stopped the line, <laughs> real dramatically, and uh, we got a picture together, and she just rapid fire asked me a whole bunch of questions. I mean, she was very familiar with it. She had a lot to ask about it. She wanted to know some behind the scenes stuff and that was one of the more thrilling things for me of the people I've met, you know, I've been honored to meet was Cassandra Peterson. So since nineteen ninety three, what is the normal reaction of people when they realize that you are Debbie? Um yeah or how, I mean, or how does that actually come up? Because it's not like you're going to walk up and say, Hi, my name is Jackie. I played Debbie in this movie. You may have heard of it, Man with Hands of Fate. Yeah. I know people sometimes they go, What's it like when you're recognized? They go, I'm never recognized. I mean, I was six years old, you know, at the time. Uh, so that doesn't come up. But, uh, yeah, Mystery Science Theater fans are just the most fun people. I mean, I grew up in the 70s and I was my best friend and I were really big fans of Fireside Theater and we, we memorized every album and drove people crazy at school. It's very similar humor and so when I realized that Mystery Science Theater was the fan base, I mean it's my tribe, these are my people <laughs> you know, we get each other and um, so I've met so many really great people. In fact, I'm um, I'm looking at pre doing a documentary now. I'm uh, talking with somebody that's helping me with the script and and I um, have a potential producer and uh, working on that because there's been so many really creative things that have happened that have been inspired by this terrible film. I mean, there's uh, coloring books and comic books, video games, a dice game, the sequel, the prequel, um, I sell master's robes. Look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working on one <laughs> right now. <laughs> uh, I do custom size master's robe. I'm working on number 42 right now. 
I made some weird commitment that I'd make a hundred of them. Oh my goodness. I'm on number 42. I made one for a guy in England who was six foot eight. And I made one for a woman in Georgia who's four foot eleven. You know, I made them for all kinds of people. And um, I've just really enjoyed it. They're just the most fun people. Oh, there's Puppet Theater. There's Monos, The Hands of Felt, out of Seattle, Washington. Gosh. Yeah, look it up. It's on YouTube. But like the restoration, um, the Mads, Frank and Trace, had me on as their special guest for their online Christmas show. They decided to show Monos for their Christmas special. And they invited me and um and they showed they showed the restoration and during it Trace said actually said he goes, You know, it's really not that bad, you no. know, the restoration he goes, I feel kind of bad for making fun of it now. <laughs> but uh when they found it that was one of their hardest movies to rip. I mean it almost never happened because I've talked to Joel and everybody, and they said that was that was a tough one. They didn't, they really didn't know how to riff that film, and it be, become one of their most popular episodes. I mean, it's won their Turkey Day Awards two or three times. They're one of the top fan favorites. So I I love it, and but it's funny when people come up and they say. It's not the worst movie ever. I go, well, I know that. I mean, I was actually in a movie that was worse than Mono in high school. It's called The Curse of Bigfoot. Just one little scene, but it was my theater acting class. We did a scene, but that's way worse. There's a lot of terrible movies out there. But there's not as many that just capture people's imagination the way this one has. So I want to do a documentary about all these amazing things that have been created out of it. And I have heard so many stories from people about how this is the movie they watch with their kids or it's a family event or, you know, it's, it's really interesting how, how personal this film is to so many people. It's a, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, you no, I, I was just thinking, um, yeah, I've only been on this podcast for a few months now, and um, there have been a couple of movies that I really thought were pretty bad, especially being big-budget Disney movies. And um, so we talked about Swiss Family Robinson being one that you loved. Are there any that you truly hate? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I honestly, I haven't watched. I have four grandchildren now. Congratulations. And, uh, the the four-year-old girl is, boy, you know, she just loves, uh, you know, the Frozen and uh, the Little Mermaid. And it's like, I can't, I haven't watched any of those. I just can't. They're on all the time. Every time you walk through the house, I just, <laughs> so I you know, I can't think of one that I... I mean, I remember, you know, we had the Saturday matinee in the theater in El Paso when I was a kid, and my friends and I, we we go see every movie that showed, and I know they did a lot of Disney films, and I don't remember 
hating any any of them. I just love the experience of going to the theater. But once again, it's because you're not a princess is probably why you tolerate the princess movies, but that's about the extent of it. Would, would that be what you would say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've we've definitely we've definitely covered some stinkers in the last in her brief tenure. It's almost like I brought her on to show her the the worst <laughs> Disney movies ever made. What do you think? What are the worst ones? Um, well, I think we're going to talk about this in another part of this podcast episode, but um the ones that stand out as especially bad were um those Callaways and The Happiest Millionaire, which are pretty recent episodes on this show. <laughs> yeah, I um, I can hardly remember those. I think there's a lot of Disney movies I probably don't even know about. Um, You're not missing much there. <laughs> yeah, those, the, the bad movies are sometimes better to do because you can actually riff on them kind of like people would want to do if they didn't like your movie like like yeah. you said they, they had such trouble actually riffing on it that it almost didn't happen yeah but i mean talking. it's been described as uh someone's last known photograph <laughs> yeah so the you wrote a book about yeah. this it's how I, I think it's how i survived the worst movie ever made yeah growing up with monos the hands of fate how i research i'm not one of those people that goes in knowing everything about a movie unless it's something that was in my in my repertoire or something that was on rotation in the house like um like for example herbie the love bug or something like that mm -hmm. so 
once I started researching it, I found out about the book, and it's actually, I'm probably going to be buying a copy next week, just because I want to know more about the movie, and it's, and I want to know more about what your takeaways were from the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it also it talks about the, the history, you know, the history of El Paso and uh, what a unique <coughs> cultural, <coughs> excuse me, place it was in the 60s, uh, being right on the border. I mean, I, as a high school freshman, I remember uh, ditching school a couple times and walking over the border and spending the day in Juarez so that I wouldn't get caught because my mother was a teacher so <laughs> didn't need to be seen out on the street, you know. But that was a really stupid thing to do for a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the culture was so rich, the, the Hispanic culture and the theater and... Um, I don't know. It's a really very special time and place. And then I talk a little bit about the, you know, older history. I mean, just to kind of give you an idea of where this took place and what time <clears throat> it took place in history and um, and what was available then. It helps people understand. It's like these days anybody can make a movie, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got a camera and we've got all the apps and all these ways, you know, people are doing all kinds of interesting things today. Not all good, but a whole lot of stuff is out there, a lot of content, but nothing like that. It was, um, it was a pretty uh, industrious thing to come up with. <laughs> so, do you have any desire to do a fourth movie in the Manos well, trilogy? Actually, if you look up... Um, there's a, the, um, what's it called? We did a pilot episode of the Monos Chronicles that I star in. Hmm. And uh, we do have a distributor. And wow. it turns out, I can't think of his name, but the guy who created the poster that uh, will be releasing here pretty soon, the poster for it, um, he the poster designer for things like Spider-Man and the Hulk. I mean, he's done a lot of film posters, big film posters. <clears throat> and he did this for us because he's a Monos fan. <laughs> and his mom knows the director. <laughs> um, and he's doing that for us for free, which is very, very cool. Wow. But uh, that's a whole other universe. And, mm-hmm. and that's what I find interesting about Monos is the it can go in so many different directions. In Monos Returns, it's the story of me being raised in this cult, and I become the master 50 years later, and I'm not a very pleasant human, as any child raised in that environment <laughs> would probably not be a very pleasant human. And in the Monos Chronicles, the story is I escaped the Valley Lodge as a child and spent my life in hiding and now I'm teaming up with other beings and, and uh, in in the pilot episode he's actually an angel but we team up <clears throat> to go after 
evil in the world to try to do good in the world. Hmm. So it's a whole different universe. And um, so I'm really hoping that this thing takes off and we do some more episodes. But as far as me, I don't know that I would do another mono film. But if somebody else did and invited me, I'd probably be part of it because I can't say no. <laughs> it's just too much fun. Yeah. It it definitely looked like it was well. I'm not gonna say fun because especially with your dad and the two crew, the two cast not cast members, the two crew members trying to see what he could, what they could actually leave in the, on the scene. Which now I'm gonna have to go back and look for the beer bottle. So yeah. you've given me yet another reason to rewatch the film. <laughs> oh, and then. Um... Yeah, I mean, it was so low budget that this house that they borrowed to film in, it belonged to the local county judge, mm -hmm. at the time, Judge Colbert Coldwell, and, and this was a place that he had that was unoccupied, so that couch, uh, the people comment on that disgusting couch was already in the house, but... Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, and then I, I put my face on it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably why I'm so strong. I don't get sick very often. But, um, yeah, Torgo's bed was a pile of dirt. So they brought in dirt into the living room. And uh, I remember reading an article that Judge Colbert, or Judge Coldwell was asking why on earth <laughs> they brought all this dirt in, you know, and they didn't clean it out either. So. So you'll notice that it's a scene. I think it's the scene where Torgo's trying to get up off his dirt bed, and the master's standing there. The, the beer bottle is off in the corner. So now, is the house still standing that this was filmed in? Can people go to El Paso and drive into no. the middle of nowhere and get lost? I think the columns are still there. Cause, and those came from the slab that my dad, the master, was lying on, and the columns all came from the old courthouse. When they tore down the old El Paso courthouse, Judge Caldwell took those out to that property, and so hmm. I think those are still there, but I understand that um, there's construction encroaching. Hmm. Uh, the, the adobe house is been long gone for years maybe part of the wall is still standing but i think it's all going to be gone pretty soon i um there's been a couple people that i've made robes for that that wore their robe out there and got pictures of themselves with the columns so that's kind of cool so after you moved away did you come back to El Paso and walk on the property or anything like that? No, there was a, actually there was a failed sequel where we were all, we all went to El Paso to film, but um, I don't recall it. No, we didn't get to go out to the property. We didn't get to go see it. The opportunity. Well, it sounds like it should be a, a national historical landmark. People have said that. Because it's not every day that you make the worst film ever made. Although yeah. people are trying every day, they're calling it their masterpiece, and it ends up being the happiest millionaire. <laughs> yeah. 
So your Playboy interview did not go over as you had intended with no. the family. But it, it's, uh, the, the title of the article is The Battle Over the Worst Movie Ever Made. And that's because of the restoration when, when Ben Sullivan found that work print and raised $48,000 on Kickstarter to restore it. Uh, Hal Warren, the director's son, came out of the woodwork and started demanding that uh, we couldn't do anything without his permission. Hmm. But the whole reason the film ever came back into the light of the world is because it was in public domain. Mm -hmm. So, um, because that's what Mystery Science Theater does, they do public domain films. And uh, if it hadn't been in public domain, nobody ever would have seen it. So. Anyway, he didn't win, and uh, there was a lot of ill will, and I had him hounding me for the longest time, telling me that I had to give him a percentage of, of anything that I sold, you know, of my own artwork related to Monos, and it got ugly. I, I enter, Yeah, Entertainment Weekly interviewed me, Upworthy. I've... I got a lot of attention over that particular thing. Kyra, do you have any final questions? Because I don't want to take up any more of Jackie's time. I know her time is valuable since she's working on her 42nd robe as we speak. <laughs> um, well, I think you've kind of already answered it because I was like thinking, um, I don't know, like you've said multiple times, like it's it was terrible or the worst movie ever made which i know that's things other people said um but i just wondered like if if like any of it um is like offended you or anything like that any negative feelings or has it all been just good on your end i've had nothing but fun with it i mean i always say you know i was a kid i'm not responsible <laughs> you know i was a victim <laughs> and then I also wondered um, I know you said that your dad uh, like they explained the dog to you like that you, they weren't really hurting a dog but um, there were a few moments that I was imagining because like I was thinking of you being a little girl and, and as I was watching it I, I wondered um, like that might have scared me to, to see um, so I wondered if like you remember feeling scared at all? No, I mean, we lived, 
It was a very unusual situation, I, I think. Um, we were the only non-Hispanic family in our neighborhood, hmm. and especially in the 60s, very heavily Catholic. And uh, my, dar my dad was an artist. He did huge paintings, and he did a lot of nudes. And, uh, and we always had Playboy magazine next to, uh, you know, good housekeeping on the <laughs> table and uh, my parents were very liberal and very open and um, you know I, I didn't have a lot of friends because we were so different but kids would befriend me just so they could get inside our house to see what was on our walls and things like that you know we were the curiosity <laughs> and uh, so no I, I don't I mean, I knew it was all make-believe, and plus, having grown up with my dad and being in the theater, I'd seen him, and I poked around in his makeup box enough times to know what stage blood was and all of that. I mean, I do remember as a kid, you know, drive-in theaters were still in, and I remember we had our old uh, station wagon, and uh, one memory I have of being scared because of a film was Barbarella, Jane Fonda movie. They we went to the drive-in and they had me set up in the back of the station wagon so I could go to sleep. And I remember peeking over the back seat and seeing a couple scenes that scared me that I found very disturbing. You know, it's kind of that was yeah, but not being part of Mono's. Uh, you know, John Reynolds who played Torgo, he was kind of a shy guy in real life and. Mm -hmm. uh, so I remember him hanging out with me and, um, you know, more than anybody probably, you know, he felt more comfortable around me and he would uh, entertain me with jokes or magic tricks and stuff like that. Oh, nothing scary. That's good. I, I don't know why. I guess because I'm like sensitive and then I'm raising a sensitive child. And so oh. like it was just on my mind. I was like, I wonder if any of that was scarier if you remembered. So. Oh, and I am, I'm like, if anything, just an extremely compassionate person. I mean, I, I'm very sensitive to things in the world, so um, that's a good question. But, yeah, being behind the scenes is, is just different. All right. Well, Jackie, we definitely want to thank you for coming on. You have brought... A little bit of levity to our lives tonight. Um, if people want a robe, or if people would like to contact you, how would they do that? Probably the best place. We just are have launched my new website. We're working on getting everything into that. Um, that's Jackie's Monos, and that's Jackie with an E Y. JackiesMonos.com and uh, on Etsy, I have an Etsy store and that's where my robe is. You can get, you know, my dad did the original Master and Dog painting and I've done a couple versions of that painting myself that I sell prints and I sell autographed copies in my book. Um, one of the, the prints I did is uh, Frank Zappa as the master with his poodle. <laughs> That's on there. But the robes, um, and uh, I don't think they're on there right now, but 
Sometimes I make uh, dog and kitty master's robes for your little master. Now, do they count into your 100, or are they a separate? That's a whole separate thing. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for coming on. This is the 100th episode, and I couldn't think of anything better than to have a celebrity on as a as an interview so thank you for coming on i will go ahead and put your show the um links to your etsy store and your website in when the um when the podcast actually releases i guess the song by the intro Exactly. Anything else? End of the episode. Drinks Mountain Dew. We can end it there. (laughs) And that may be our outro for the show. (laughs) And remember, kids, Davy Crockett drank Mountain Dew, and you should too. Welcome back to episode 100. Kyra and Dan here. We are about to break down. Why we thought that The Happiest Millionaire was the greatest movie ever made by Walt Disney, to which Kyra gives a thumbs down, which means it has to be at least number two on her list. Now, we are going to break down the top five movies, or mini-movies, because one of mine is actually a mini-movie in my top five, and our five worst movies. And since you are the newest member of the group, I will defer to you and let you give your top or your number five. Okay. Um, well, I have obviously not been on a song, so I had a smaller um, selection of movies to choose from, but I did my best. Um, and so uh, I actually feel bad naming this as my number five because I didn't think it was actually a bad movie for the most part, um, and that would be The Ugly Dachshund. Okay. Why did you pick The Ugly Dachshund as your number five? Um, because it was, like, I know we said this in the episode where we covered it, but, um, and I think Icky was the one that pointed it out. Like, it's kind of, it was kind of the same joke over and over of, like, the, the little dachshunds causing chaos and um, the Great Dane being blamed for it. I've already forgotten his name, and I feel bad. But Wasn't it Brutus? Yes, I think so. Which is so, bad that I would remember that. <laughs> well, it's, it's good that you remembered it, and I maybe I should have written it down in my notes. <laughs> but, um, no, it was like, it wasn't a, a terrible movie, really. But, I mean, of the ones that I've 
watched since I've been on the podcast. Um, it was the best of the not greatest movies I've seen. If that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. It's it, just really repetitive and, yeah. you know, throw in a sprinkling of negative Asian stereotype and yeah. yeah. I could, I could see why that would be in your worst top five. And if we have overlap, you can go ahead and let me know what number is on yours. Sure. My number five was Moon Spinners. I have that as number four. Okay. And the reason why it actually made the very bottom of my worst five is because this movie could have been a whole lot shorter and could have had a whole lot less, shall we say, Greek influence in the movie i know that they were set in greece but to have a boy that you know how you say you say and i'm not even going to finish that just because that's a bad that's like a horrible stereotype anywhere that that you come to mm-hmm. so was that why that was your number four or was there another reason um yeah no that's definitely part of it and then um i just i I didn't care about the characters very much. Um, I know that Haley Mills was like Disney royalty, but I know I've also said on this podcast that I'm not like a super big fan. Um, I thought, <gasps> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, listen, without giving anything away, I'll make up for that statement later. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I just, I, I thought this character, her character in this movie was annoying. Um, I thought that the aunt was a jerk and I didn't think that she, uh, Haley Mills and, um, the main guy, the English guy, like it just didn't feel like there was any chemistry there. And so it was just not a movie I cared much about. Okay. My number four, which is probably one that you haven't watched, not even to prepare for the show is the sign of Zorro. Which I actually thought that I was going to like because I'm a huge Antonio Banderas. And was it Catherine Zeta-Jones that was in the 1990-ish version of Zorro? Yes, I think so. And I think when we actually covered this on whatever episode, it'll come up in a classic episode probably in the next two or three years. I think I remember saying that I liked it. But it was, looking back, it it didn't do anything other than recap a Walt Disney TV show. Which is bad because one of my top five is another recap of a Walt Disney TV show. So I'm kind of two-faced in the what makes a good movie, but also what makes a bad movie. So, I mean, the movie would have been good if... It would have been released standalone instead of, or like a lead-in to a feature film, or a lead-in into the TV show. If you gave them their backstory and some reason to actually want to watch the Disney show instead of, oh, well, here's two episodes that we just threw out in a in a theater, and it was released in, I want to say Europe, before it was released in America, and it's because... Zorro's a big, huge fan, and other 
or a big huge character in Europe or Mexico or wherever it was actually. So, moving on to number three. Uh, Amal and the Detectives is my number three. Okay. Was it because of Amal or what was the reason? Um, I just didn't care about this movie. Um... <laughs> I'm starting to see a trend in why you place the movies where they are. Well, yeah, I'd, it's been a few months since I watched it. Um, I wasn't going to watch it again to prepare for this. Oh, come on, Kara. You have to watch all of your movies that you've done since you've been here, including so, two hours and 49 minutes of the greatest movie ever made. So, for the most part, when I made this list, I just kind of went through the list of movies that I've covered and episodes mm -hmm. I've been on and um, just was like, mm, didn't like that. Well, I, I did like that one. And then I took the lists and ranked them. So Amal ended up as number three. Um, it was such an Americanized version of Germany, even though I think we decided that they filmed it there. Like mm -hmm. the kids were American and, I don't know. It just, it wasn't enjoyable. It was a, it was an American movie shoehorned into Berlin because Berlin was a big thing at the time, I think. Yeah. Well, I think that the, um, the book took place there, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, they could have replaced that with any city, so... Coming soon to Disney+, Plus, Amal and the Detectives, set in the wide world of Indianapolis, Indiana. <laughs> No. Well, hey, wait, didn't we decide that, or like we found that they had remade that several times? Yeah, that movie, I think, has had the most remakes of any non-Disney or Disney film. I think it's like six or seven remakes, and only one of them was by Walt Disney World, or Walt Disney Productions, I guess. Hey, get some new ideas, people. <laughs> Everything old is new again, which is why Pinocchio is being released next year. First of all, Everything Old is New Again was the title or theme of my daughter's dance studio's <laughs> recital. So we have that on the shirt now. Um, secondly, I already forgot the secondly. Oh, Pinocchio. I'm excited, okay? My dad's in that movie. Your dad? Tom Hanks. Oh, I, I okay, I got gotcha. you. America's dad. I thought you were actually saying your legit father was in the movie, and it's like I can't pan the movie then. He is. He's Tom Hanks is in the. When I saw the trailer, I was like, "Daddy." Now, does he play Geppetto? I haven't actually watched yeah. the trailer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, I think it looks great. Like, it's one that I'll actually be excited about. Well, Moving you, on. Well, then you will be happy to know that. Pinocchio is not in my worst five. However, a movie made around that same time is Dumbo. Wow. I don't like this movie. It, the only reason why it didn't rank higher in my worst five is because there are two horrible movies for totally different reasons above it. But... I think the movie is about an hour and 20 minutes long, which, I mean, understandably, that's the length of a feature film back early 40s. But it was it was not what I remembered from growing up, which is strike one. 
Strike two, it makes you cry, which is why I'm going to hate having to cover the Colin Farrell version of Dumbo when we get to it in 10 or 15 years. Because it's a sad movie and that had a shoehorned happy ending, is the way that I'm going to put it. it 95% of the movie was sad, and then all of a sudden, oh, Dumbo's back together with his mom and they all lived happily ever after. The end. Okay, well, why? What made him get accepted except for the fact that he could fly and he could make the circus millions and millions of dollars? Wow, this is not... Okay, so obviously I wasn't on that episode, but... Uh, and I haven't watched Dumbo in a long time, but it was a childhood favorite. Like, I just... I remember watching it a lot when I was really, really young. And so, um, like, I know now as an adult, of course, I realize, like, it's got problems. Um, <laughs> But I've never really thought of it as a sad movie until you just said that. And now I'm like, it is really sad. Yeah. Like, from start to finish, very sad. Except, I mean... Start the, to almost finish. The baby elephant gets drunk. Yeah. And the crows are, like, racist. I realize that now. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, I well, don't know what my grandparents were thinking letting me watch this movie. Well... It's because it was a beloved childhood classic that had been around for 40 years when you were introduced to it. So it's kind of the same reason why people will still watch Song of the South. Because they didn't know better. Even though, spoiler alert, I like Song of the South and it needs to be on Disney+. Plus With the content warning at the start, but now that The Princess and the Frog is moving out Splash Mountain, we can pretty much chuck Song of the South into the Deep Blue Sea. Or Florida. Whichever comes first. <laughs> so. So that's your number three, right? Yes, that is my number three. Moving along to Numero Deuce. I'm so interested to see how the next two go. Like, I, I want to know what yours are. Um, <laughs> and see if we're, like, thinking the same thing. So my number two was Happiest Millionaire. Um, and... The main reason that it's not number one is, like I told you before we started recording, Aunt Mary, that character, and the, like, one scene, well, actually, she's great in every scene she's in. I want an Aunt Mary movie. Um, but then the specifically the scene where she and um, the mother-in-law are, like, singing insults at each other while the butler is, like, trying to feed them so funny like it's not worth watching the entire movie for that one scene but i would fast forward through all two hours and 30 minutes to get to that scene now that is actually my number one just because it's two hours and 49 minutes that could very easily have been an hour and a half movie without lawless which i know he's british royalty now or a British knight, but... Yeah, we're Americans. We don't need that. Yeah, but... I mean... They tried to make Mary Poppins magic again, and it pretty much fell flat. And with the exception of the Aunt Mary scene, I could see... Which... I'm with you. Why doesn't, why doesn't Disney take that premise and make a prequel? Which would then drive people to go to want to see the actual... 
two hour and 49 minute. Okay. Maybe that's not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, yeah, like give, well, we can't go back in time, but like, I would be like, please, like, please give us an Aunt Mary movie and forget the rest of this. But the fact that this was the last Walt Disney touched film, I mean, that's good and all, but no. So, you know what my number one is. I will go ahead and fill you in on the number two, and it's not any of the movies that you've covered. Oh, okay. It is a movie that I have watched twice, twice in my life. And that's only because I didn't know what I was getting into the first time. <laughs> it's Old Yeller. Okay. I, I think I just struck a nerve. <laughs> no, no, no. I haven't watched <laughs> Old Yeller in a long time. Um, like, I remember parts of it. Um, but I thought, I like, I'm surprised because I thought you would say that you liked that movie except for the end. The reason why I have watched that movie twice is because I had to cover it for this show. I bawled both times that I watched the film. I mean, I ugly man cried when they shot Old Young. And, I mean, the I'm just glad that I actually found somebody that liked the movie that would come on and actually do the, do the podcast with me because that would have been a very sad movie to have to cover on my own. And the only reason why it got bumped to number two is because two hours and 49 minutes. I'm just going to leave it at that. So I think I know what your number one is just by process of elimination. But drum roll, please. Those Calloways. (laughs) Now that didn't even deserve a drum roll. Well, I mean, it shouldn't surprise anybody who's been paying attention because I think I've had something negative to say about it in almost every episode (laughs) since I watched it. (laughs) Yes. And for those of you who are new listeners, just go back and enjoy our coverage of that movie and write us and tell us why we're wrong. And the only reason why those Callaways didn't make it into the top five and they were actually an honorable mention is because of the number of movies that I've actually had to watch, which most of which I wouldn't have watched if I didn't have to watch them for the show. Yeah, I think I I lost count, but I think I've done, I don't know, between 15 and 20 now. I think I think we're if it's not twenty, it's close. I think mm-hmm. um, I haven't been keeping track, but um, yeah, those Callaways was just I didn't love it for all the reasons. Like I mean, we don't it was we covered it pretty recently, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So we don't have to rehash the whole thing, but just like the alcoholism and like the weird like goose worship and <laughs> the like like kind of weird depiction of a native um i want to say native american but i think the movie is actually set in canada but just all of a it native is, canadian yeah just an indigenous person there we um, go that's the appropriate term nowadays yeah it's just not it's just not a great movie like if i was gonna watch it again it would be to laugh at things that aren't really funny 
like intentionally funny. Um, but, but since honorable mention, um, I actually like the incredible journey almost made it onto my list. And then I replaced it with the ugly docs and like, it was hard to choose between those two. I definitely wouldn't watch the incredible journey again. Until we watched the Michael J. Fox film in the night. Yeah. Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Mm -hmm. Remake for America. Because USA. <laughs> okay. Um, Moving right along, we've talked about the worst. Now let's talk about the worst and the ones that everyone will probably disagree with on mine that were not the worst. They were the best. I'm like... I'm excited to hear yours because um, you have watched so many more movies <laughs> with me. So I'm sure like you have stuff on your list that I haven't seen. There is one movie that you have watched on my okay. top five. Cool. There's five movies that I've watched on my top five. <laughs> wow, what a concept. <laughs> and that you've watched. Okay. okay. Um, do you want to go first or me? I will go ahead and go first Okay. since there's... Pretty much no, not going to be any overlap on these. Number five was a 16-minute short that Icky and I ended up going for an hour and 20 minutes. It's the Olaf Presents. I've seen that. It's so fun. Yes, that that was number five just because I couldn't leave it off the list. It And we are both, Icky and I are both hoping that Disney does more of those for Disney Day this whatever October, November, whatever uh, Disney Day is. So, because, I mean, Icky and I are both child, childs, child's play, are both children of the 80s who went to just about all of these movies in the 90s and 2000s. So, to actually have them be covered in hilarious Josh Gad style. And that's why it is actually the most downloaded podcast of this um feed until this one i was of course... gonna say um like i remember when you guys did that episode and i i think actually i listened to it um <laughs> a few weeks later um cause, like my second episode was around christmas time um and so i had listened to it not having talked to you all at all and the whole time I was listening to that episode I was like I wish I could talk <laughs> because that's one of the most fun things I've ever seen like that's one of my favorite where he does that um, rundown of the first Frozen and Frozen 2 is one of the best scenes in Frozen 2 and so I was completely delighted when they released all those shorts and then I was very excited about the podcast episode okay what is your number five? My number five is The Jungle Book. Um, okay. Why? Because I love that movie. <laughs> like, I know we talked about some of the problems with it, um, but it's just, I don't know. I just, I think it landed because of, you know, the movies that I've got to cover. It's just um, a nostalgic favorite. I've, I've just always watched it. Okay. My number four is the only one that you have watched, Bullwhip Griffin. I love that one. Is it in your top five? It's my number three. Okay. The reason why it ranked number four 
and not higher is because it is actually a very hidden gem. Nobody nobody really knows anything about this movie. And unfortunately with number three, number two, and number one above it, those are all pretty much well-known movies that you could talk to anybody about. So that's why it ranked low. But the theme song should be somewhere on Disney just playing by itself. Or it should be... Or should be in some one of the parks, just playing when you walk through like Frontier like that. So, what is your number four? My number four is the Love Bug. Oh, um, yeah, it was very like a, recent that I liked that movie. Like I, I didn't know what to expect, and I just I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to when I first started it. Um, and so yeah, it it landed at number four just because it. Delightful. Okay. And you said number three was Bullwhip. Yes. My number three was Treasure Island. I don't think I've see, ever seen that one. You've probably seen the Muppets Treasure Island. Yes. Very close in relation, and we'll discuss that probably in about five years because it's, I think, late 90s, early, or late 80s, early 90s. Uh, that I- came out. It was in the 90s, because I remember watching it as a kid. But this movie actually holds a very dear spot in my heart, just because I grew up reading books, and I read Treasure Island. So when I got to actually watch the Walt Disney treatment, it was very close to the book, and I've actually got the book back in my list to reread as an adult, and it'll probably... Might get read to Thompson when he gets to be about seven or eight and starts taking an interest in the pirates and whatever the Disney Junior pirate person is. So, um, my number two, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I've never seen that either. I'm like, oh, like I I know about it and I kind of know what it's about, but I don't really know very much. It is a fun romp that has some issues. But it's got, is Michael Douglas the one that was in Basic Instinct, or am I thinking of... I've never seen Basic Instinct. <laughs> okay, well that's a good thing. Hold on, let me... Is that the one with... Um... Sharon Stone. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that was Michael Douglas. It's got his ne- It's got his dad... Kurt? Kirk? Kirk Douglas, yes. I don't know why I blanked on it. I mean, probably because it's so late at night, but... Yeah, it's got Kirk Douglas in it. He plays the character that is trying to stop Captain Nemo. And just the level of detail on the sub. And, I mean, yes, it has issues because I think they actually overrun a island where they had um, people of color working as slaves. And now that I'm thinking about it, I don't even think we mentioned that on the show. But it had issues, but it it was 95% of the time it was a fun romp, and it made it made an hour and 45-minute movie seem like it was 25 minutes. Because it wasn't one that I actually looked to see how much time was left on it. You get to the end, and you're like, no, too soon. Yes, exactly. And and I wanted, I wanted more backstory on where the Nautilus came from and why... Captain Nemo got it. So that's another thing that Disney can put into their band of prequels that need to be made 
that will lead people to watch a good movie. So what is your number two? My number two is Sword in the Stone. Um, what's that face? I can't believe that's not number one. Number one was a sleeper hit of like in my le- like movie lexicon, I think. But um, no, Sword in the Stone. I do love Sword in the Stone. That's why it's number two and not number <laughs> three, four, or five. Okay. <laughs> So it's so it's the same reason why Bullwhip was number four on mine was because they had better movies that were above it. But you had uh, I don't know if if it's better if the one that I chose as number one is better. Um, but no, just Sword in the Stone. Of course, like people can go back and listen to that episode because I talk about how great it is for <laughs> like an hour, however long that ended up being. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a lifelong favorite. It, it never gets old. It's There's a few dated references in it, but it holds up pretty well. And it's as funny as it ever, as it ever was. Same as it ever was. Yeah. Okay. And now you are going to see My Hypocrisy with my number one. It is the Davy Crockett movie, which is nothing more than the first three parts of a Davy Crockett miniseries put together. Is that for real? Yes, that is for real. There was actually five parts that ran on whatever it was back in the 50s. It was um, Davy Crockett and the Indians. Davy Crockett goes to Congress. Davy Crockett at the Alamo. Davy Crockett gets killed in the middle of the movie and somehow comes back to have a sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Which, actually, I think the Alamo was the fifth part of the miniseries. And then they found out that it was a very good... They did a real good job on it. And so they brought him back with Davy Crockett and the River Pirates and Davy Crockett and the Boat and the boat Race. As sequels, not like... Yeah. Well, it, I mean, huh. it, it was all part of a Davy Crockett miniseries that ran because the original three parts was like an hour and maybe 30 minutes total and then the last two parts that were after that were put in after he was dead were like another hour and 20 minutes so it was like three hours total but the the fact that icky and i broke this movie down and the only problem that i had with it was the fact that they killed him off at the end of the movie and then somehow brought him back for a sequel and he wasn't a zombie, which probably <laughs> would have made the sequel better. But I don't think anybody knew about zombies back in the 50s. Did they, like, explain why he was back? No. They were just like, yeah. just another Davy Crockett story. Yeah, it was just another yeah. Davy Crockett story. I don't know much about Davy Crockett, honestly, except, um, like, I remember when I was growing up, I think... My grandma told me that he was in our family tree, which I'm oh. sure is in everyone's family tree, probably. Um, and then the, the song, like, yeah. stuck in my head. I've never, I've never seen any of it, but I remember like my grandma and my daddy singing the song when I was little. Yeah, which is actually in the intro to the the show, and that's part of the reason why is because it's so ingrained in my psyche from watching the movie so many times. In fact, I think I started watching it just for shiggles when we were on vacation like two years ago. 
I've before... never heard anyone say shiggles before. <laughs> well, this is a family show, so you can kind of figure out what it means. <laughs> I'm, but, I'm adding that into my vocabulary going forward. <laughs> but yeah, we were we were at a we were at a family getaway, and my niece would have been maybe two at the time, and they put on Disney on the TV, and she went off and did whatever she was doing, and I flipped it over to Davy Crockett and just started watching it just. Because it's Davy Crockett. And I was happy it was actually on there. And then like nine or ten months later we actually did the episode. And I was like, well, I mean, it's one that I will sit down and watch without fail. If it's ever on like network television. Which whoever watches network television anymore. But For sure not me. I can avoid it. Okay. Well, we are to your number one. Which I'm trying to do process of elimination to figure out which one it is. And I think I have a idea, but I'm going to let you spoil it. Okay, so my number one movie um, was That Darn Cat. Okay. Is that what your guess was? No, I kind of figured it was a Haley Mills movie, but I was thinking The Twins. Oh, no, I, don't, I wasn't on the show at that point when you oh, did. Okay. I came on... Um, not long after you guys covered that. Okay. Um, but no, that darn cat <laughs> made me la- like, I told you, I think I watched it three times in a day um, <laughs> because the first time I watched it, I went in like I, I had, I think I'd mentioned this in the episode, but like I was vaguely aware of it. Um, probably from my stepdad talking about it or something when I was young. And, uh, so I didn't know much, and it just completely blew me away. I was, I was, I must have been in a great mood that day when I watched <laughs> it, because it was just, I was so tickled. And then my family came home, and I was like, "You guys got to watch this movie." And so we watched it together, and then I watched it again before bed that night. And I think, I think I watched it five times the week that we recorded that episode. Wow. Um, because I loved it that much, and I just didn't see it. Coming. <coughs> it was like I, I was watching it with my husband, just like, do you see, like, do you see what I'm seeing? Like, this is the funniest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it just—that's like one of the most delightful movies I've ever watched, and um, like, it's <coughs> part of. I think what makes this like doing this show so fun is that I get to like find things like this that I would never <laughs> have watched otherwise. And sometimes it's a those Callaways and sometimes <laughs> it's that darn cat and it's wonderful. And so I'm, I'm excited about um, the next several months of movies that we have lined up. Yes, because I think we are getting to one of your all-time favorite movies, at which time you'll probably retire and say, I can't do anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can't top this one. No, I, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, but I'll keep going. I'll somehow muddle through. <laughs> you'll muddle through. <laughs> All right. Well, this concludes episode 100. We just wish that Icky would have been able to be on here. We miss you. We hope you're enjoying life and we look forward to hearing what your top five and worst five are when we actually do reconnect with you. Um, 
if you want to drop us a line, and how could you not after listening to us for almost two hours talk, you can send us your top five and your worst five to BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. The DMP, of course, stands for Disney Plus Movies Podcast. I misread the last I, letter. I really hope that um, we will get some best five worst five lists because it would be so fun to read those. Yes. And I want, if anyone actually has the happiest millionaire on their top five, please send us a detailed three-page typewritten, single-spaced, seven-point font with bibliography explaining why that is your favorite movie. Until, oh, I almost forgot. We got homework. We always have homework for 98% of our movies, or for 98% of our podcasts, this one being the lone misnomer. The next movie that we will be covering, we are officially into the 70s, so it's kind of weird that episode 100 actually hits when we get to the end of a decade. That definitely doesn't happen often. Um, the first movie in the 1970s is one that has a content warning, so I'm sure Kyra is excited about that. <laughs> it is The Aristocats. So that is is your homework for next week until we talk again stay safe stay hungry and stay off the reservations for those darn callaways have a good night thank you for listening you can send us feedback at bekindrewinddmp at gmail.com we welcome any kind of feedback and it might get read on the air in a future podcast once again, the email address is BeKindRewindDMP at gmail.com. If you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast on whatever streaming service you are listening to us on. This and word of mouth are the two ways to help us reach a larger audience. Thank you in advance for doing this. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day. Goodbye. Do you want to do worst five or top five first? Um, I think we should do worst first. Okay. Worst first. Worst. <laughs> what is the word? <laughs> well, we finally were able to catch up. That's a word. Woo! <laughs> yeah. That's one of the best words, right? Yeah. Just got to stretch out a little bit more. Woo! This episode brought to you by Sugar-Free Mountain Dew Zero Sugar. Yeah, I wish. Wish we had a sponsor like that. Now that would be, nice. be working. <laughs>